here. Thank you for being out tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about something that we've all done at one point in time in our life. And some of us may still do it. I know occasionally I do. And I'm not going to make any bones about it. I do the same thing. How many of you in the crowd, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands. And if you don't raise your hand, then I'm going to automatically change my sermon topic to line. How many of you have ever made an excuse not to do something? Every hand ought to be up because we all have made excuses, don't we? All right, you raise your hand there. Twice. Okay. I thought you were going to make an excuse of why you didn't the first time, but no. We've all, we've all made excuses. We've all found reasons to get out of doing something. Get out of uh, whether somebody told us to do something. Parents used to tell me to clean my room. I always had something else to do. I didn't want to do that. And I found out that stuffing things under the bed wasn't the way you clean your room today. Or in the closet. But anyhow, we make excuses to get out of doing things that we just really are uncomfortable with or we don't like to do and we just want somebody else to, you know, do it for us. We, I don't want to do that. I do it at work all the time. Someone calls. They want to talk to me. Now, I love everybody. Guys, I, I do. Please don't take this out of context. I love everybody. But there are some people, when they call me at work, they're not very pleasant, and they always want to talk to me. And I'm just like, tell them I'm at lunch. They're like, Bradley, it's 3 o'clock. I don't care. I'll take a late lunch. I don't want to talk to them. Tell them, tell them in the restroom. Tell them I'm outside. Tell them something. Obviously, I'm like, I'll get it. Don't lie for me. If you lie for me, you'll lie to me. I don't want you to do that. So I, we, we want an excuse because I don't, I don't want to talk to those people sometimes. It's been a rough day. I'm just like, leave me alone. Let me, let me calm down. I'm talking people call you two and three times a day over the same thing. Like I've done told you, leave me alone. Make excuses to get out of talking to people. We'll make excuses out of doing things at work we don't like to do. I do not like to clean the bathrooms at work. We close the bathroom at work. People abuse those things, if you can believe that. So we close the bathroom in a public facility, but there's still those handful of people that we let use it, and they're the ones that destroy it. And we still let them use it. I hate cleaning the bathroom. I hate it. It's filthy. Y'all are like, I wouldn't like it either. I don't like cleaning it at home, let alone a public bathroom. I just don't like it. It's just nasty. I don't get, I don't get a kick out of that. So every time we say, okay, we're going to start cleaning today, well, I've got a lot of prescriptions to put on hold. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do the bathrooms today. I've got a lot of stuff here. I've got a lot of audits to do over here of Medicare. I, I can't do that today. We make excuses. And I say those up, Dad, for a reason. So I can use that, see, to get out of doing that. We don't like to do certain things. Were there ever any places in the Bible where people offered an excuse or a reason? Whether it be deliberately saying, I can't do what you're asking me to do, God, or throwing a suggestion out of making themselves feel inadequate, like I'm not able to do what you're asking me to do. Of course. The three examples we're going to talk about tonight come out of the Old Testament. The first 
being Gideon. Gideon is one of my favorite stories, favorite accounts in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. We see that Gideon was just kind of minding his own business, working around here and there. And obviously the children of Israel backstory were under the oppression of the Midianites at this time. And we know the story of the Judges, how God would allow the people of Israel to be oppressed for a period of time. A judge would arise, would deliver them out of bondage, and they would be faithful for a while and fall right back into it. They go against God, and next thing you know, they were under the thumb of somebody else. This particular time, the Midianites were oppressing the children of Israel. Gideon is approached by an angel of the Lord in verse 11, sat under an oak which was in Orpah, and pertained unto Joash the Abizurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now you would think if someone said something like that to me, I'd be like, you talking about me? Mighty man of valor? I ain't ever had a fight with anybody but my sister. And I think I lost that one. She cheated. But we say, how, how can you think that I'm something great most people might say, well, you're right. Maybe their arrogance get the best of them. Yeah, that's, that's right. You recognize. But most of us would be like, what have I done? I mean, really, what's so special about me? A mighty man of valor. I don't have any accolades to my charge. What have I done? Gideon was no different. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in, this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from thine hand, from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. I'm the youngest in the house. I've not done anything. You're going to save Israel by my hand? I don't know about that. I don't know that you're really talking to the right person here. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with thee. Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. You ever heard the phrase, talking to you adults, you ever heard the phrase from young folks, I'm not old enough to do that. I don't know if I can do that or not. I'm not, I can't do that. I can remember, and I've told you all the story, Buck is already laughing because he knows where I'm going with this. When I was a teenager, 15 years old, he came to me on a Sunday morning and he said, what are you doing next week? I said, come to church. He said, good, you're preaching. And he walked off. And I was like, wait a minute. I, hold on a second. I have never done this before. I can't do this. 
I've never preached a sermon in my life. I was scared to death. But Buck wasn't going to have me say no. It wasn't an option. And I can remember the first time that I asked Sawyer to do one, a lesson here when we were doing our, Wednesday, our Sunday night young men's service, and he did the same thing. Ah, Hunter, the first time I asked you, ah, Ryan, what? All the ones that I've approached were scared to death. I was there. And I did y'all like Buck did me. I wouldn't let you tell me no. I encourage you to get up there, try your best. You can't go wrong. I can remember as a young person, I didn't think I could do that. And I still can't do that, but at least I still try to do that. I can remember preaching and practicing that lesson, and it was a good solid 28 minutes. It's a good time, right? 28 minutes. I was done in seven. <laughs> so I went back through it, backwards, and reviewed to bring everybody back up to speed. That they forgot it in seven minutes. <laughs> so, 14 minutes plus the invitation. There was another three minutes because I flew through that too. It was all right. I was still scared to death. And I still get nervous. This is a big responsibility. But I never... Buck never let me say I was too young. He never let me say I couldn't do it. He never let me doubt myself. Sometimes we need to be reminded, especially as young folks, especially as young folks, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Be an example of the believers. How so? How? In word, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. I mean, young folks can be an example in all those things? Absolutely. And I can tell you, having had the privilege to work with the youth here at Bethel all these years, I have learned a lot from those young folks. A whole lot. Been privileged and blessed to be a part of their lives. And them sharing things with me that they are going through and being like, hey, I went through that. And I've been experiencing that. I can, I can do that. I can fix that. Here's how we do it. Do it together. Don't ever let somebody tell you you're too young that it would make a difference in life. And this is to the young folks. Don't ever let someone tell you that you're just a youth and your opinion does not matter because it does. You guys have a voice. You have an opportunity. You have a privilege and a responsibility if you're a Christian to be an example to those around you, not just the people that you go to school with, but even to us adults. Because there are sometimes us adults lose sight of what it was like to be your age. We forget how hard it is. Talk to us. And if we're not listening, keep talking to us. 
Don't give up on us as adults. But never let another adult tell you, young men, that you don't belong in that pulpit. Never let an adult tell you that you don't belong right here behind this table. Serve the Lord's Supper. Never let an adult tell you that you're not fit to lead prayer or to lead singing. A lot of people are young in the Scriptures, and God did a lot of wonderful things through them. Timothy, David, and the list goes on and on. You are capable and you are able. Do not let your youth be your excuse to keep you from getting active and being active in the Lord's church. Don't doubt yourself. And that brings us to the next one. We all know Moses, right? Moses had a big responsibility in Exodus. Can you imagine being someone who the book of Hebrews says chose to suffer affliction and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He left his being basically royalty in Egypt to be a slave, to be back with his Hebrew people. Forsook all of Egypt. And then was told, you're going to be the one to lead people out of Egypt bondage. Imagine Moses standing in front of that bush and it's talking to him and he's like, he even said, who am I that you would pick me to lead the entire house of Israel out of bondage? Well, God got through that part with him. But then we find, again, another excuse. Not only did he doubt himself, but over in Exodus chapter 4, he was told to go before Pharaoh. In verse 10, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since has spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses wasn't a kid. But the big responsibility he had to, to bear here, he just didn't feel like he was good enough. I can't talk very well. Some people may say here in this neck of the woods, I don't talk real good. Well, you don't have to be an eloquent speaker to tell somebody about the gospel. And that's the beauty of the gospel you can explain that to a child, and they get it. And adults are like, I don't have a clue. Children can understand Bible stories. And adults seem to miss it, the fundamental principles of Christianity, or refuse to even be a part of it. I don't know what the problem is. Did that change God's mind? Oh, you can't talk well. Sorry, Moses. I made a mistake. Let's move on to the next guy. 
Is that how it went? No. Oh, you can't talk well. That's okay. You have your brother Aaron. He talks very well. What I tell you, you tell him, he can tell the people. Still on you, Moses. You know something else? Paul had the same problem. He had a thorn in his flesh and besought the Lord three times to remove it from him. Eyesight, conscience, we don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically say. But what we do know is this. It was a problem for Paul. It was a personal thing to him. Something was wrong with him and he asked the Lord three times to remove it. But the Lord said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You got a problem? Okay. You don't have to be perfect to fulfill the plan that I've got for you. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker to tell someone about the gospel. You don't have to be one of those smooth talkers that go in and, I don't know how, debate or whatever it is, you don't have to have all of that eloquence about you to tell somebody who Jesus Christ is. T.A. mentions sometimes that he likes Amos because Amos is just an old country boy like we are. That's what I am. From Bledsoe County. I'm not from the big city. People make fun of the way I talk sometimes. T-A-W-K, talk. That's how we say it. Not a problem with that. But I can tell you this. I can tell you in the southern accent the same thing that a smooth-talking person from up above the Mason-Dixon line can tell you about the gospel. I can use big words if I have to. I might not pronounce them right, but I can try. What's the need in that? I ain't trying to impress nobody. But I'm trying to convey to you the fact the same thing that Moses tried to get out of. He had a responsibility to go and lead the people. I can't. I don't talk very well. Big deal. Get on in there. I can remember coaching. One thing I miss about coaching youth football, I'm sure Jason can relate to this, being around to himself and others as well. When you have that one kid and he can't do anything, you want him to run the ball. I'm not fast enough. All right. I want you on the line. I'm not strong enough. Okay. You go catch, her, catch the ball. I, I'm not good at catching the ball. Huh? Hold these water, water bottles. Well, I get tired of holding water bottles. I can't hold them very long. What can you do? Can you do anything? And it gets to the point in the season where you tell that kid, hey, I need you. I need you to step up. And you get them fired up. And you get them out there on that field. And man, you just sit there, you're like, they finally do what they said they couldn't do. And they come over the sideline, man, did you know I could do that? The whole time. Yes, I did. Why didn't you do that earlier? I tried. You couldn't do it. One of the best things, best feelings that I ever had in my life was walking off the field of practice one day 
from a little guy from out on Brockdale. He was scared to death to hit anybody. He was always afraid of hurting himself or hurting someone else. So he just went from his stance, stood up, one of the biggest kids on the team, and would get blown off the ball. And who knew? Bringing a kid to the side, and not, I'm not talking about being mean to them, okay? They're children. But when you get down nose-to-face mask and say, I know you can do better than that. I believe in you. Now I want you to get in there, and I want you to hit him and drive him all the way past that 20-yard line. One moment. For an adult to look at that child and say, I believe in you, I've got faith in you, he drove him to the 50 before he stopped. We had to run him down. Oh, 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 oh. whoa. Here's one of those moments off the blind side where he says, where would you take him, to the bus? That's where he was taking him. He was ready to get him out of there. And going off that practice field, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, nobody's ever believed in me before. And I was like, get him out of here before I get misty-eyed and cry. Get him, get him. Moments like that. Sometimes all it takes is to be reminded of what we as an individual are capable of. Let me remind you, adults and you young folks, we serve the Most High God. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us. If we have the ability to merely exist in this life in some capacity, then we can do something for God. It doesn't matter if you're slow to speak. It doesn't matter if you're slow to run. It doesn't matter if you're not good at... At singing, it doesn't matter if you're not good at, at preaching. It doesn't matter if you're not good at leading prayer. It doesn't matter if you're not good at leading a women's Bible study. Whatever the case is, there is something you can do. And there is no excuse for doing nothing. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for merely existing in the Lord's church. The Lord's church... We must have an active faith. An active faith to where we do something with our faith. That's what Hebrews 11 talks about, right? By faith or through faith, they did things with it. They didn't just sit on it. They just dwell with it. They put it into action. Don't tell, don't let young people, someone tell you you're too young, you men influence. Don't doubt yourself because God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We can do something for the Lord if we just will. The last thing is this. In Genesis chapter 2, God had made everything in the world. He had made Adam. He had made Eve. There was one thing they couldn't do. And it was eat of one tree in the midst of the garden. You got all these things that you can eat. All these fruits, all these vegetables. You don't have to work for it. I'm just giving it to you. Here it is. One thing. 
you can't do. Don't eat of that tree right there. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Leave it alone. Hear those memes? Or see those memes all the time? You had, you had one job. I always get tickled with those things. You had one job. And it's just, how can someone be that dumb? I hate to say that, but how can you be that dumb that you would do that? You know that don't belong there, but you put it there. But anyway, you had one thing, one thing that you couldn't do. The serpent, Megaldeve, she ate. She gave to her husband, Adam. He ate. God comes into the garden, and they're hiding from God because they're naked. God says, who told you you were naked? Where'd that come from? What have you done? Have you eaten of the, eaten of the, of the tree? God knew what they'd done. But it wasn't their fault, right? Oh, the excuse that they give. Wait a minute. In verse 12, God's talking to Adam, and he says, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree whereby I commanded thee that you should not eat of? Oh, well, just wait a second now. It wasn't me. This woman that you gave me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Wasn't my fault. Woman did it. She's the one to blame. All right. The Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Wasn't my fault. The serpents you made. You see what they did? The excuse they offered? Adam, not my fault. The woman you made did this. Not my fault, yours. It's either yours or hers, not mine. Oh, he goes to the woman. The woman says, wait a minute. It's the serpent. You created it. It's the serpent's fault, not mine. It's yours or his. What do we do? We mess up. And it hits us in the face. Not my fault. I didn't do that. Well, I was... Somebody over here, they, they set me up. They blamed me for that. I didn't do that. I know it wasn't my fault. It was, if, you, if you hadn't put this temptation in front of me, God, I wouldn't have done it. Is that how God works? The book of James tells us otherwise. When it talks about enduring temptation, the book of James tells us, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. But we never say it's our fault. It's always somebody else's. Long time ago, well, not that long, like I'm only 36, 37. 
37. But I can remember when I was a little bit younger than you guys, Brother Bill Staggs was still alive. And you may remember this. I don't know if I was out front for the class or, or maybe he told me by say I don't know how, how this went down, but, but I remember what he said. I don't remember where and when he said it. And he said, you know something? Every time you point your finger at something else, to place blame on whatever it is or whoever it is, you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. That means you are three times more responsible than what you're blaming. And that stuck with me all these years. Which is why when I talk to you guys, I do that. Just remember, we're three times more responsible. Is it my dad's fault that I've made mistakes in life? Is it my fault that some of you guys make mistakes? No. No, it's not dad's fault. Now, if I take you with me and put you in a position to fail, then I might take responsibility for that. I'm not going to do that. But if we make mistakes, most of the time, I say 99% of the time, the only person we have to blame is ourselves. You see, Adam, yeah, he was tempted by Eve. Eve was tempted by the serpent. But both of them had the ability to say no. Both of them had the choice they had to make. Obey God or follow their own self. The same choice we have today. Now we can make an excuse as to why we sin. But sooner or later, the excuses are going to run out. And when we stand before God, and He asks us to give an account of our life, and we've not been faithful, who are you going to blame? The preacher? The elders? The husband? The wife? The brother or the sister? If you're sitting in the audience right now lost, who are you blaming? You can't read and study the Bible if you're in lost condition and not think of what you've got to do to become a Christian. You can't do it. And if you are, then you are a harder person than I've ever met in my life. You can't sit here lost and not think about it. It don't work. Who are you blaming? Because when you take that step into eternity and that knee bows before God and He opens up the book of life, will He find your name in it? And if He don't, whose fault is it? It's yours. There's not an ear in here that has never heard the gospel. There's not a heart in here that has never been approached by God's Word. But I can tell you this. There are ears that have turned it away. And there are hearts that are hardened. 
that ain't going to be an excuse when you stand before God. And I only say that bluntly because I love you enough to tell you the truth. doesn't matter if you've never rendered obedience. Maybe you're that person who's been a Christian, but you've allowed yourself to go back into the world. And maybe you're ashamed of what you've done, and you're too stubborn to come back to God. You realize that this is the parable of the prodigal son. God is looking for you to come back home. The door's open. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to come back home to God, or are you going to continue to exist in a lost condition? And if you continue to do that, and you're in that condition, and you step into eternity, guess what? You can't blame the preacher. You can't blame the elders. You can't blame the deacons. You can't blame the husband, the wife, the parents, the kids, the brother, sister. That's on you. No excuses. And there's no excuse for you to leave this building tonight in a lost condition. And if you're subject in any way, stop making excuses. Step up and do what you know you need to do to become a Christian. And stay a Christian by remaining faithful. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we beg, plead, and pray. Make it known while we stand and sing.